This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Lack of focus. When you, when you make mistakes, when you don't step with the correct footwork on the offensive line, tight end, if you hit the wrong landmark as a running back, when a hole is there and you should be downhill bouncing it, that's a lack of focus and a lack of detail. So same thing with the quarterback. If we're not reading things through mm-hmm. and the ball's not going in the right spot mm-hmm. and we get a pick, that's a lack of focus and lack of detail. Receiver may, receiver may have caused you know, some of those interceptions, just like Austin did on one. Um, but, you know, the lack of focus and lack of detail right now has cost, it has cost us some plays to where we got to do a better job as going forward. To beat Ohio State this week, we got to play with a lot of passion. We got to be focused on all the details. Yeah, we got to play that much more harder against this team that's coming in, and we'll be successful. That was Nebraska tight ends coach Sean Becton on what has plagued the Huskers this season and what can't plague the Huskers Saturday against Ohio State. In this case, however, we really could be talking about a nameless, faceless opponent, to borrow a term. Lack of focus, a handful of plays here or there, have led to, so far in 2021, a Nebraska loss by three to Michigan State. The Spartans were ranked number three in the first college football playoff rankings of the season released this week. Nebraska's lost by three to number seven, Michigan. It's lost by seven to number eight, Oklahoma. Ohio State was number five in those initial CFP rankings, the most power rankings, a real definable system, rather than whatever we get every Tuesday from the selection committee now. Would say this is probably the best team Nebraska's had to face yet. But because Nebraska has already faced some pretty high hurdles this year, hasn't cleared any of them, but it's faced a number of them, Buckeye Mountain may not feel quite as high as it does as it did in past seasons. To be clear, however, it's still plenty high. You'd need, well, extreme focus to reach the summit. You're listening to the IED Preview Podcast. I'm Hale Varsity Managing Editor Brandon Vogel, and let's talk some football. We will open the first half this week the way we do every week, with a look at the opening line on this game. Circus Sports opened Ohio State at 14.5 point favorite. Uh, it immediately jumped basically a point. And it's kind of held steady around that 14 and a half or 15 point mark through midweek. The Buckeyes are minus 675 on the money line, which gives you a break even percentage of 87% for a straight up Ohio State win. Nebraska's plus 475 on the money line, which you'd need to, Nebraska would need to win straight up on the scoreboard 17% of the time for such a bet to pay off in the long run. So there you go. Uh, most of the power ratings are, or win probability models are in a similar range. And those are kind of the stakes, plainly stated. Nebraska would be expected to still have a shot at the postseason after Saturday, fewer than one in five times. Those are the stakes. That's where everything that has come before has left Nebraska, and everybody is, well, perhaps even painfully aware of it. Power ratings are right in the same range with what the actual betting line has been so far in this game. 
ESPN's SP Plus. Has Ohio State as the top-ranked team in the country? Uh, no. Take that playoff committee. Nebraska is still number 24 in those rankings. Uh, didn't drop all that much following Purdue because, like a lot of Nebraska losses over the past three and a half seasons, it's a game where that model shows Nebraska probably should have won, uh, which which keeps happening. SP Plus puts this line at about 13.7 points for Ohio State or in favor of Ohio State. So call it 14, call it 13 and a half if you like. FPI is right there, uh, which has kind of been an ongoing thing I've noticed as I look at these each week. Uh, FPI and SP Plus are, are pretty much in lockstep most of the time this year. Um, Ohio State and FPI is number three overall. Nebraska is still number 29, uh, and that puts this line at Ohio State minus 13.4. So you can squarely call that one 13 and a half in my line, in my mind, if you're rounding it to actual numbers you'd see. The average line at Prediction Tracker, same spot, 14 and a half. None of the more than 60 power rankings there project an outright a Nebraska win, which isn't a surprise. I think the lowest one there had Nebraska plus five. So there's at least one ranking out there that uh, views another one score game, though I'm not sure anybody wants that at this point. A 14 and a half point line for a Nebraska, Ohio state game, even if you take out home field advantage across the board represents the lowest, uh, Huskers Buckeyes line we've had of the Scott Frost era. Ohio State was minus 17 and a half in Columbus in 2018. Ohio State was minus 17 in Lincoln, the college game day game in 2019 and came out and put that game away very, very quickly. And then last season in crazy circumstances with the the late start conference only play, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody knew what any of these teams really were who was even going to be available. Um, thanks 2020 for that. The Buckeyes opened at 27 and a half over the Huskers in Columbus last year. So you could look at this line and say progress, right? I know nobody wants to hear that at the moment, but truthfully, Nebraska's odds of beating Ohio state aren't great, but they're probably as good as they as they've been since this coaching staff arrived ahead of the 2018 season. I'm going to stick on that point rather than the typical players to watch segment this week. Like, look, pick three guys off Ohio state. They're all very good. Um, They're all important. Nebraska's woes don't seem to be particularly matchup based. So I'm going to eliminate that part from the show for this week, probably only, and instead focus on specific aspect of something I saw this week that I wanted to drill into a little bit more. On Sunday, there was a tweet from Todd Furman, a former odds maker, who's now an analyst for CBS Sports, and it was getting passed around Nebraska circles fairly frequently on social media. It was a pretty simple measure. It showed the top 10 teams in the country based on yards per play differential. So what you're gaining per play minus what your defense allows which, you know, is a fairly basic, but typically pretty good stand in for what a team is doing over the course of, well, every play in the game, minus special teams. Nebraska against FBS opponents this year, so the Fordham games out, is gaining 1.7 yards more per play 
than it's allowing. Based on this tweet, that's seventh best nationally. It's tied with Alabama. From a yards perspective, three and six Nebraska was outgaining opponents at the same clip as seven and one Alabama was. What the hell? To Husker fans, and at least this was a sentiment on Twitter that I saw most often, it felt like sort of a troll job. Not from Furman, but from the team itself. How can you do this and be three and six? Well, allow me to make it worse. Nebraska's offense is averaging 6.7 yards per play against a schedule that, in all those teams' other games, looking at opposing defenses, those defenses are allowing 5.3. So the Huskers have been, despite all of the consternation over the offense, the cringeworthy moments, all of that stuff, Nebraska's offense has been 25% better than you'd expect based on the defenses it's played. The same is true on the other side of the ball. Nebraska's defense is allowing 4.9 yards per play against a group of teams gaining 5.9 on the year. That's 16% better than you'd expect. We can keep going. Nebraska's predicted points allowed differential. Similar sort of measure. You take the predicted points, basically the value you're adding to your drives, minus the value your defense may or may not be saving. Uh, Nebraska in that category, 38th. Still pretty good. Still way better than you'd expect from a 3-16. and Its explosive play differential ranks 7th. That's kind of the, really, the, the when you look at it comprehensively, offense and defense, that's Nebraska's best trait. Its ability to hit big plays, most of which aren't coming in the run game, uh, unless they involve Adrian Martinez, and prevent big plays. On the year, Nebraska's outscored opponents by 83 points total. Since 2010, which is as far back as I went, because I, I got the picture pretty quickly, just one team has outscored its opponents by 80 or more points at the end of the year and had a losing record. That was UCF in 2011. The next closest to UCF in 2011, the Knights went 5-7 and seven that year, is 7-5. and five. You, you outscore your opponents by 80 points on the year, all 12 games. Now, granted, Nebraska is probably not going to stay there. It's still got three games to play against three pretty tough opponents. But just based on right now, you'd expect them to be 7-5 and five over 12 games. So a winning percentage over 50%, 53 and change or whatever it is. Where does it all break down for the Huskers? Why do all of these numbers not add up to wins? Well, it breaks down in the obvious place, points. And we're talking mostly offense here. The Huskers offense ranks 100th in yards per point. So you can look at the yards per play differential, 7th. Offensively, yards per point, the Huskers require 16.6 yards to put a point on the scoreboard. Defensively, which is good, the Huskers rank 28th in this category there, they're asking teams to go 16.2 yards to put a point on the board. Alabama's offense, to go back to that yards per play comparison that probably set people off. The Crimson Tide gets a point on offense for every 11.1 yard gained. That's fourth nationally. Iowa, which by any yardage measure 
has a beleaguered, which may be putting it kindly, offense, converts every 11.5 yards into a point on the scoreboard, seventh nationally. This isn't new, of course. If you've listened to the show previewing the offense this season, you may remember that Nebraska came into the year having one plays based on success rate at a clip that was way out of whack with its win total. Nebraska ranked 45th in success rate, total success rate. So adding plays one on offense to plays one on defense, combining them into one metric. Ranked 45th over the 2018 to 2020 stretch. Its win percentage over that time ranked 102nd. The only team close to Nebraska in terms of an inability to turn what is typically a very indicative and predictive measure into winning was Texas Tech. The numbers between the Huskers and the Red Raiders were virtually identical over that three-season span. The Red Raiders fired head coach Matt Wells two weeks ago. I don't mention that as a way to imply it's what NU should or shouldn't do here. It's just a statement of what happened there. Point is, if seeing Nebraska in a top 10 alongside Alabama surprised you, it was probably the context and timing that made it so. Because numbers like that are all over the place. This year and at most points during the Frost era, that inability to get what you rightfully earn to utilize the advantages you create is fatal in the Big Ten, as we're seeing, and that's particularly true against this week's opponent, Ohio State. More on that in the second half, but first here's Halftime and Rusty Dawkins with Saturday's forecast. You can follow Rusty at, at HuskerWeather on Twitter and check HaleVarsity.com throughout the week for updated weather reports. Hi there, everyone. I'm meteorologist Rusty Dawkins for Hale Varsity, and this is the I-80 Preview Podcast Forecast. And wouldn't you know it, we have another nice day on our hands. It's November, so it can easily not be a nice day, but looks like Mother Nature is trying to give uh, all of us that want to go to a nice uh, to go to a football game to have a nice day. And that's exactly what we have in store. Now, it is going to start off a little on the chilly side. So it's an early kickoff, 11 a.m. So if you're out tailgating earlier than that, let's say 6 a.m., uh, mostly uh, mostly clear skies out there, but cool temperatures in the lower 40s, which is above average, and a light west wind at 5 to 10 miles per hour. By 8 a.m., sun comes up, mostly sunny skies, middle 40s, already starting to warm up with just a light southwest breeze. And by 10 a.m., I think we'll see mostly sunny skies and temperatures near 50 with a southwest wind. Now by kickoff, which is 11 a.m., mostly sunny, temperatures in the lower 50s and a southwest wind maybe picking up a little bit, 5, 10, 15 miles per hour. By halftime, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, mostly sunny, lower 60s already, so above average, and a southwest wind at 5 to 15 miles per hour. And I think by the end of the game, temperatures with plenty of sunshine and uh, a southwest wind at 5 to 15 I think we'll see those temperatures getting into the upper 60s, maybe even 70 degrees. So a very warm day uh, for a game in November in Nebraska. But hey, we'll take as many of these as we can get as long as Mother Nature wants to give them to us. Now, if there, there are any changes, you can find all kinds of updates on my uh, Twitter account that's at Husker Weather. That's all Husker Weather all the time. Uh, also on my personal one, Rusty WX, and we'll have all kinds of updates on Hale Varsity. Go Big Red! Open the second half here the way we do each week with the only question that matters in any given week. How does Nebraska beat Ohio State? It doesn't. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. The snarky kid at the back of class might say.
But on this show, we try to take every opponent seriously and look at every game on its own merits. As mentioned before, this is probably Nebraska's best shot, strange as that may feel, after the previous nine games, to beat Ohio State. Nebraska was a much larger underdog going to Oklahoma, and it found a way to stick in that game for 60 minutes. So I know where where feelings tend to lie with, with Nebraska in this football season, but Saturday's another opportunity. The Huskers will have to be nearly perfect, a version of themselves we haven't seen yet to come up with a upset of the Buckeyes. If it's to happen, here are three key things Nebraska probably needs to do. Number one, survive the opening onslaught. I was extremely impressed with Penn State last week. Coming off a, I think the only word to use here is comical, nine overtime loss to Illinois, on its home field, the Nittany Lions went to Columbus at night and played Ohio State straight up for 60 minutes. It was a pretty good model for how to push the Buckeyes, and it's one, at times, Nebraska has looked good enough this season to execute. The first thing Penn State did was it had a lead after the first quarter. The worst thing that can happen against a Ohio State-level team, whether it's the Buckeyes or not, just a, a heavy favorite, is, is for that team to establish its advantage right away. Over the last three Nebraska-Ohio State meetings, the Buckeyes have outscored Nebraska 44-14 to in the first quarter of those games. In 2018, Nebraska trailed 16-7, to but it was trading punches. That felt like a game, despite the deficit, and it remained a game for four quarters. 2019, it was 14 to nothing after one quarter, and 24 to nothing seven minutes into the second. That was the college game day game. That was the season where things were going to pop for Nebraska. And it was the Buckeyes who came to town and said, no, there's, there's still a lot further yet to go here for, for Nebraska to be ready for those type of games. Last year was a weird one. Given the weirdness of last season, the Big Ten football's off, Big Ten football's back on, conference-only opponents, no fans, et cetera, et cetera. Nebraska got the first punch in in that game, uh, took the opening drive, scored. Luke McCaffrey got a carry from the running back spot, uh, as many of you probably remember. 7 nothing, but it was 14-7 after 15 minutes and very much trending the Buckeyes' way. More impressive than just Penn State leading after the first quarter last week, however, may have been that it had to do that despite a massive momentum shift lost. If you watched that game, you pr- you probably saw, or if you went back and looked at any of the write-ups from it, Ohio State fumbled on its opening drive, provided great field position for Penn State. It's the sort of play you often need in games like this, where one team's a pretty decent favorite over the other, and Penn State got it. Then the Nittany Lions fumbled it back on the very next play. But the difference here was Penn State stayed the course. It it didn't let that, oh, we had it, we let it slip away. Now it's just going to become, it, was, it, it didn't become a game reset for, for Penn State or Ohio State. Is Nebraska capable of doing that? Too often, it hasn't been. We've seen big momentum shifts like that go the other way. The Purdue pick six last week. Scott Frost called that kind of two-play sequence where instead of first and 10 in Purdue territory, 
A holding penalty makes it second and 15, which leads to a pick six. Frost called it catastrophic. And, the, and those kind of plays are in terms of, in like a very real sense of what happened to the Huskers win probability after those two plays. It is catastrophic. And now Nebraska came back, answered that with a touchdown drive of its own and took a 14-7 lead. But it could have been 14 to nothing or it could have been 10 to nothing. And you're always kind of, if you let it, can kind of live with, oh, this should be larger than it was. Credit to Penn State. Part of the reason they led at the end of the first quarter is they didn't let that happen. There are going to be those moments in this game, particularly early, where Nebraska is going to have that opportunity. It's going to have a choice to make. Does this define this game or is it just one play? And that's sort of the big picture question with this football program overall. We'll see it writ large against Ohio State. Second key, get what you're good at. The strength on strength matchup on Saturday is Ohio State's explosive offense. Depending on how you want to view it, I would call it the best offense in the country against a Nebraska defense that so far is very good at limiting big plays. It's the piece of defense this group of black shirts does best. The Buckeyes are hitting an explosive play 23.3% of the time which is an insane number, especially for playing in the Big Ten. The black shirts are allowing explosive play 9.3% of plays. That's a little more frequent in in the Big Ten. It's still a really, really good number, Um, but it tends to be how a lot of teams play defense in in the Big Ten. And and we've seen Ohio State drop Big Ten games in the past. It kind of comes down to this. You've got Ohio State is very, very capable of hitting on those big plays. If you listen to last week's show, I talked about shortcuts. Big plays are a shortcut to points, um, and Ohio State puts up a bunch of points by being able to get those plays pretty often. But can the black shirts hold the Buckeyes down? No team's going to do it for a full 60 minutes. Ohio State's too good. It's too talented. But we'll go back to last week again. A very good Penn State defense held Ohio State to 5.2 yards per play in the first half. The Buckeyes average 8.2. Penn State trailed at the half solely because of a 57-yard scoop and score. The kind of play that, well, fumbles are almost entirely random. A guy picking it up and taking it all the way back doesn't happen that often. It was a seven-point game, and that fumble, a, a, a coin flip type of play, was the difference. So Penn State goes into the half, feels pretty good defensively. It's keeping the lid on against an offense that's very tough to do that against. And Penn State comes out and goes on a scoring drive to to tie the game up. First drive of the second half. Here come the big plays for Ohio State. Ohio State's first play of of the, the second half goes for 58 yards. The Nittany Lions regrouped, held Ohio State to a field goal. That's a big, big win in that situation. Next time Ohio State gets the ball in the third quarter, 68-yard rush. That drive ends in a touchdown. But throughout this game, Penn State kept answering. Super impressive. If you watched if you watched that Nittany Lions offense not be able to punch the ball in from three yards out at nine overtimes against Illinois, this was rising to the moment despite what we had just seen. To beat Ohio State, that's how it has to go because the big plays are going to come. 
Nebraska, based on what it's done to this point, might be able to pin the Buckeyes in for a while. But the game might be defined by the Huskers' ability not to let those plays, those big plays when they inevitably come, snowball. It's a mental challenge as much as a physical or tactical challenge. Nebraska's done a good job defensively passing that test so far this year. From an offense-defense perspective, this is easily their biggest challenge yet. Third and final key for me this week, can Adrian Martinez take what's there in the passing game? At this point, Ohio State's relatively new back seven on defense has plenty of games under their belt. You can't really consider him as inexperienced as you would have at the start of the season. But attacking the Buckeyes through the air is still the path of least resistance. Ohio State ranks 16th in rushing success rate. It's 91st in passing success rate. So that's a efficiency measure. This Ohio State defense still does a good job, however, limiting explosive passes, which has been Nebraska's best weapon so far in 2021. That means Adrian Martinez is going to have to make some tough, layered throws. He'll have to find holes in the Buckeyes' pass defense. Sean Clifford, Penn State quarterback, was excellent at this last week. He was in control against a fearsome pass rush, and he just found holes, and he has a talented group of wide receivers. Nebraska has a talented group of wide receivers too. Perhaps most importantly for Martinez, he's going to have to make quick decisions. He'll have to do that one because that Buckeye pass rush is coming. Ohio State has 28 sacks through eight games, and we've seen Nebraska struggle with this this season. But the second reason is we've seen time and time again, bad things happen a little bit more often when Martinez is just back there for three or four seconds. Uh, And and I don't mean that as kind of a, a a personal critique. You could just like, if you had access to the coach's film, you could probably cut it up and show a clear difference between when the ball snapped, go through your progression quickly. And that ball is out versus those plays where, okay, Maybe the defense showed something Nebraska wasn't expecting. Martinez is back there waiting for somebody to come open, waiting for somebody to come open. And you get into the tendency to to force things, to try to make the the difficult play when they, the easy play that you thought would be there wasn't there right away. Nebraska has to find a way to avoid that. It's up to Nebraska's coaching staff to give Martinez some plays where those reads can be quick. Then it's up to the quarterback to make the right reads. Coming off one of his worst games, he'll have to have one of his best games. Like Becton said at the top of the show, it's going to take a sharp focus and attention to detail. And that's true for every player who plays on Saturday. You just see it most often. Well, you see it on a play-by-play basis with quarterback. You have to remove Nebraska's record and focus on other numbers to fully see a quote-unquote good Nebraska team. But the team is undoubtedly there in my mind. Until the Huskers find a way to win a game like this, however, that status, good, remains in the realm of what could have been. And you can only stay there for so long. Thanks for listening to this week's show. If you like it, do your podcast chores. Give it a subscription, a review. Tell your friends, tell your enemies about it. And be sure to check out all of the shows in the Hale Varsity Network. More importantly, subscribe to Hale Varsity. Getting close to holiday time uh, makes a great gift if you like this type of content. And it's not just football. Um, One of the things we really pride ourselves on here is uh, 
taking this sort of approach, a serious, a studied approach, um, to all sports. Um, Jacob Padilla basketball is starting up again. He's, he's one of the best when it comes to breaking down basketball. Steve Mark's going to be on the women's basketball beat for us. And he's doing some great stuff on the football side of things. If you hadn't had a chance to check out some of his writing, please do that. Greg Smith, he's ramping up for early, early signing, um, with Nebraska football, even with a relatively small class, things have the potential to get pretty interesting between here and the third week in December. Aaron Sorensen is one of the best feature writers out there. Could go on and on. Getting great work from two of our two of our interns, Julie Peel and Drake Keeler. Derek Peterson's Sunday column for typically focused on football is is a must read. So a lot of good stuff there. If you're a Hale Varsity subscriber, you get access to all of our premium content online. You also get 10 issues a year, plus the annual Nebraska football yearbook in June. So a lot to like there as you're thinking about ways to spend your hard-earned money here towards the end of the year. Hopefully you consider Hale Varsity. Thanks again for listening. A Huda Media Production.